0: This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing, where we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators that are driving transformation across their industries.
1: This is Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing. In this podcast, we explore stories, insights, and lessons learned from leaders and innovators who are driving transformation across their industries. I'm Patrice Sikora. With me is Paul Fahey head of investment data science at Northern Trust, and Claire Flynn Levy, founder and CEO at Essentia Analytics. Uh, Today, we'll be hearing about what inspired Claire's journey to begin Essentia Analytics, how Essentia's technology gathers and produces actionable insights to help with the investment decision-making process, and the ways that Northern Trust and Essentia leverage their partnership to help move their clients faster forward through the power of data science. Paul, Claire, thanks so much for being here.
2: Great to be here.
1: Thank you, Patrice. Yeah, good to be here. Now, before we jump into our conversation, why don't you both tell us a little bit about yourselves? And Paul, I'm going to ask you to go first.
3: Sure, Patrice. I've spent my entire career in this industry working across our asset managers, asset owners, both in in operations, business, product, relationship management, but always focused on how best we can serve our clients to deliver better outcomes for them, and I would say more importantly, their constituents. This has taken me across the globe from Dublin to Boston, to Sydney, to London, back to Boston, and now for the last 13 years here in Chicago. I've been engaged in the early stages of major shifts in our business from the growth of daily fund accounting to the emergence of middle office outsourcing to now the focus on the front office and alpha generation.
1: Fantastic, Paul. And I understand you said it's pretty cold in Chicago right now, huh?
3: Unbearably so.
1: (laughs) Well, let's hope we get you feeling a little bit warmer with this podcast. Claire, why don't you share with us, what did your journey look like before you became an entrepreneur? And what has it been like since becoming a founder and CEO at Ascension?
2: Sure. Well, I spent the first decade of my career as a fund manager, albeit I worked my way out from analyst to fund manager, but I was a long only fund manager at Morgan Grenfell Asset Management in London, which was part of Deutsche Asset Management. And then in the end ran my own long short European technology fund called Avocet Capital. But I got to a, a point in the market cycle, much like the one we're in right now actually, where I was standing back and questioning what is it that I'm doing that is helping matters, and what is it that I'm doing that is making things worse? You know, it was a very tricky market, and what I had been doing historically was no longer working. So, I thought, as a, a sort of data-driven person, uh, could somebody just analyze the data that I have on the trading decisions I make and tell me what am I good at and what am I not good at, and I'll just spend all my energy doing the things I'm good at and none of the things that I'm not good at, and that would make everyone's life better. Unfortunately, that was not possible at the time. Mathematically, it would have been possible, but technologically, the industry just wasn't at that stage. And so fast forward to today, that is why I started Essentia Analytics, um, albeit now almost 10 years ago. And it's been quite the journey. You know, I love being an entrepreneur, and I am more passionate today even about what we do at Essentia, which is... Helping human investors make measurably better decisions. I'm even more passionate about it now, having worked with hundreds of portfolio managers around the world, than I was back then when I was just thinking about it in my own terms. It has ups and downs, and being you know serving the fund management industry, particularly the active fund management fund management industry, now at this point in time is is no joke. It's tough going, but we have a cause. We're actually just trying to help these people do better in the same way that a coach helps an athlete use analytics to do better. And so that makes it worthwhile on a daily basis.
1: That's fascinating, Claire. Thanks. Why is it that both managers and allocators are becoming more interested in behavioral analytics?
2: Well, you know, the quest that both allocators and managers have is to understand what from performance is down to luck and what is down to skill, you know, to be able to separate investor skill from luck. And that quest has been ongoing for many decades now. Originally, people would just look at performance numbers and say, oh, that person had good performance, they must be a skilled manager, and that person had bad performance, so they must not be. But performance is not a measure of skill. It's a measure of outcome. There's a lot of luck in there. And so, so it makes no sense to take that number and assume skill. So then the industry moved on to uh, performance attribution, which is still widely used today. And that is about taking the performance outcome and comparing it to the outcome of an index and then uh, decomposing the differences to understand what, where the manager expressed skill by being different from the index. Um, that's a a way of looking at it that's developed actually in the last, I don't know, say 10 years into factor attribution and investigation of factor exposures. So it's not so much just, oh, the alpha versus beta, it's you had exposure to growth versus value or, you know, whatever. Again, though, you're really still looking at the outcome and trying to work backwards to understand what the manager did which is, it's like taking a top-down approach. It's not wrong. Is the only way you can do it if all you have is the performance data and you don't actually have data about what the fund manager did. But the fund manager does have that data. The fund manager is making decisions all day, every day. Some of those decisions result in trades and some of them don't result in trades. But the ones that do result in trades, there's trade data for. So as a manager, you're sitting on daily... Holdings data is actually what we're using, but also we can use daily trade data. You're sitting on that data. You're just probably not analyzing it uh, in order to create for yourself a data driven feedback loop. And yet, everybody has seen Moneyball. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) can appreciate that hang on a second, data analytics could help you continuously improve and take your performance to a higher level if only you could see yourself in a data mirror and understand what you're good at and what you're not good at. I mean, that's what I was thinking back then, right? But now that is much more of a mainstream idea. The technology is available, not least through Essentia analytics and people need it more than ever because it's not easy to generate alpha right now and it's only getting harder. And so if you're a manager, you need data analytics in the same way that an athlete does to compete increasingly. And if you're an allocator, the balance of power has changed and the transparency level in the industry has changed. And so you don't have to just be satisfied with monthly performance data. You actually may have the daily holdings data if you're running separately managed accounts, or even if you're not, you may be able to get it much more easily than you think and have a better quality of conversation with the manager because you're talking about the decisions the manager actually made, which the manager can understand and can do something about. So I think Mm -hmm. all of that together is driving this sort of uh, growth in interest in behavioral analytics. Fantastic.
1: Fantastic.
2: Paul, give
1: us some perspective on what asset owner clients are expecting and the challenges your manager clients face when it comes to articulating their performance and identifying patterns in their investment decisions.
3: Yeah, I think as Claire started to touch on there, and frankly, we've heard in previous episodes of this podcast, asset owners are becoming more engaged with their managers. They have access to more data and insights than ever before. They want to be involved in the investment process, and they are asking questions that they expect their managers to be able to answer, questions, as Claire's pointed out, that go well beyond simple performance numbers. So we're seeing managers look more closely at their investment process and their decisions to be able to explain why they made the decisions they made, why they chose a particular name at a specific price, how they assess their holding period and eventually exited positions. This is key information for managers to understand, but can be difficult to identify without the right technology. What we saw in Essentia and Claire and her team was a firm that was trying to help managers with that challenge. And we wanted to work with them to help our clients continuously improve, particularly as they look to support an ever-engaged asset owner, asset allocator
1: group. All right, Claire, up to you. Explain, please, the technology behind Essentia. How does it actually help
2: managers improve decisions? So many technology vendors talk about helping managers improve decision making. And it when I was a customer, you know, when I was the fund manager, I was always left wondering, yeah, but can you prove that? Is it measurable? And there's lots of, of potential ways that you could improve somebody's decision making, but you need to be able to measure whether it worked or not. And that is something that only essentia is able to do. Now, how we do it is, first of all, the Essentia Insight software platform is cloud-based and it takes, as I mentioned, daily holdings data. It transforms that data into what we call investment episodes. So sort of like game tapes for every position that the portfolio is held. And then we analyze those game tapes and use over 50 different purpose-built analyses of uh, decision-making skill and performance. And those are analyses that have been developed over time with real use with equity fund managers around the world. So they're highly configurable because every manager is different, every strategy is different, you know, it it really is courses for courses, <laughs> as I say. And it's they've all been very thoroughly road tested. So we know that they are useful to people. There's an in-house risk or performance an- analysis team, which is often the case at, at larger firms we train them in the software platform and provide them with reports on an ongoing basis, and then they can do what they want with the software. But where there's not a team like that, or where the team is under-resourced, we offer what we call insight sessions, which are basically human sit-downs with an insight partner, as we call them. These Insight partners are former fund managers in their own right who have been trained in all of our analytics and can just cut to the chase on, you know, what is it saying about me? <laughs> they can find, well, here's what it's saying that actually really matters. And now let's discuss what could you do about that? And so they act as a sort of independent third party, like a data-driven coach. And that that is a, a piece of it that a lot of our clients really value highly, but even so If all you had was analytics and you were sitting down with a coach once a quarter, which is how often most people do it, that doesn't really guarantee that you're going to change your behavior for the better. Behavioral change is hard. And that's why we created what we call nudges. So nudges are automated notifications that are based on your portfolio data as it continually is coming through to us. And they're just little emails that prompt you to ask yourself some questions might be questions about a trade you just did where you know you really can't capture that much of the why behind your decisions in your trade order management system. So this is about uh, capturing some context in a structured way, but we also have nudges that tell you something that say, look out, here's another example of a stock that might be displaying that pattern that we talked about, you know, where you have a tendency to say, hold on to your losers for too long. There's a lot of back testing that goes into when to send those nudges to which person. But again, the point is just for them to click on it and it will pitch them some questions that they said they wanted to be asked the next time they were in that situation. And doing that jogs their brain into what Daniel Kahneman will call system two thinking, like actual deliberate decision-making as opposed to Passive decision making. And these guys are smart. You know, the fund managers are intelligent people that if they can aim their brain power at the right thing at the right time, then our work is done. We mm-hmm. believe that they'll make a good decision more often than not. And we can see that that's the case. So when we do the analysis, then of what trades do they do on the back of these nudges and what trades do they do not on the back of these nudges and it's up to them what the trade is that they're going to do but when we compare them on a sort of apples with apples basis we find that the trades they do on the back of the nudges are right more often and when they're right they're more right than they're wrong when they're wrong um whereas the other trades they do during the same time period they might be right more often than wrong but the stats are not anywhere near as good so it's about being right a, a little bit more often and when you are right being a little bit more right. And when you're wrong, being a little bit less wrong. And it's sort of common sense when you think about it. That's
1: amazing, though, that you would see that difference. And that you mentioned how this idea really has been growing. I mean, managers have been capturing data about trades and holdings for at least two decades now.
2: What triggered the move
1: to mainstream thinking?
2: I mean, I would say it's ongoing, the move. It's (laughs) slow-mo. It's (laughs) taking a long time, a lot longer than even I expected. And I've been in the industry for long enough to know things move very slowly. But if you you think back to Moneyball, if you Mm -hmm. saw that movie, these things take time. People don't change their opinions and their open-mindedness and all of that overnight. And you've got an entire installed base of Portfolio managers and asset management industry leaders who have been brought up doing things one way and can only see downside risk from where they're sitting. It's like, why would I give away more information about what I'm doing than I have to? Um, that, That makes sense. But in more recent years, since the financial crisis, the balance of power between the asset manager and the asset allocator has shifted. Even with the best will in the world, most of these managers' data wasn't in one place or in a form where they could really easily do analysis on it. And a lot of them have since been investing in you know, data warehouses and data lakes. And so their data is more usable than it's ever been. And then you have a lot of turnover at the top of these firms and a new generation of asset manager, asset management leaders being promoted into these roles. And so these are people who have, are more likely anyway, to have a growth mindset, you know, to be continuous improvers, to believe in data-driven feedback, and to be using this sort of analysis in other parts of their life, whether they're triathletes or, Fitbit wearers or whatever, (laughs) you know, there there are a lot of gadgets out there that can help you improve. And they know that because they have grown up or at least been early adopters of those technologies. So it's like, you know, the times they change and we just have to meet the market where it is at any given time.
1: Right. And speaking of change, Paul, it's new for Northern Trust to be providing tools and services directly to the front office. Why? Why? is Northern Trust pursuing that now, that kind of strategy? And what are the big differences that you've seen?
3: Yeah, this is really part of our whole office strategy and leans on our long history of supporting our clients from an operational and cost perspective and those challenges. I would say the main drivers behind the strategy are really client need. And what we see is our ability to address that need by working obviously directly with our clients, but also with our partners. If we look at digitizing the front office, and Claire started to touch on this, we're moving from a predominantly analog process today and enabling our clients to consume more data, gain insights, and most importantly, derive intelligence from that data, both external and increasingly internal data. A big difference is the audience at our client. It's expanded to include the front office personnel, CIOs, chief risk officers, research teams, and others. And the result is a discussion about how we can partner across the entire investment process from the portfolio decision making on the investment manager's desk, all the way through to the end client reporting and really engaging at that level. You know, a true whole office discussion. I say another big difference is the focus on the continuous improvement and the tools and data to support that. Just recently, we actually heard from an Essentia allocator client and he looks at a manager's inability to explain how they were better today than they were just a year ago, that's a red flag for him.
1: All right. Claire, you were also talking about nudging portfolio managers. If you would, talk a little bit more about that as it relates to qualitative data as well as quantitative.
2: Well, as I mentioned before, trade data... That records, you know, how many shares of something did you buy or sell at what price on what date? So very quantitative, and that's a a good starting point. But to really understand what you're good at and what you're not in terms of decision-making, you need to be able to analyze the why part. Why did you make that decision? Because whether it was a good decision or not may depend on what you were trying to achieve with it. But also you probably only have five different reasons that you buy or five different reasons that you sell. You know, the, there's a subset of, uh, of reasons within your why. And if you could just be capturing those, they don't have to be numerical, as long as the data is structured. And that's what nudges do. They're basically like surveys where you get a dropdown of five choices. Why did you just enter this position? Is it a tactical Position? Is it a fundamental position? Is it about macro exposure? You can choose what the different options are, but the point is to define those options to be as relevant to your own process as possible, and then to tick a box to record the why at the time. And the more you do that, the more we can connect the dots between the decision you've made, the context within which you made that decision, the reasons that you made that decision, the actual Trade if there was a trade. And by the way, you know, people make a lot of decisions that don't result in a trade. So nudges make it possible to record those decisions, which don't get recorded anywhere. So maybe you're very good at dodging bullets and you're very right to not trade when you consciously decide not to. But you'll never know that unless you're capturing that data. But the point is to connect the dots between the context, the decision, and then the PL outcome. And we can do that. Nudges make it sort of uh, sky's the limit in terms of what context you could be connecting with. So when I'm interested in wearable technologies and I've got an Aura ring, but I've had a Jawbone, a Fitbit, a Garmin, all of these different devices, (laughs) I'm very interested in the connection between my health, my sleep, all of those things, and how I function on a day-to-day basis. Now, I'm not running money anymore, so I don't have quite a straightforward data, you know, footprint of what I do day to day, but a fund manager does. And we definitely have clients who use nudges rather than rings and watches and and the like, but just to keep track of how much are they sleeping? How much are they exercising? Are they drinking? How much are they drinking? (laughs) You know, whatever they want, because there's nothing quite like seeing you know know that you're supposed to get a certain amount of sleep and you know that you shouldn't drink heavily the night before work. And yet when you see the connection in your own data, it's like, wow, okay, that will change my behavior. There's nothing quite like it. So depends on the open mindedness of the individual fund manager and where their curiosity lies. So none of this is mandatory, um, but we nudges make it possible to to really get creative and explore what it is that matters to your performance. Well, this
1: next question is for both of you. So Claire, why don't you answer first and then Paul chime in. Where do you see the Accenture and Northern Trust partnership headed in the future?
2: Um, Well, Accenture wants to see behavioral analytics and decision attribution become a must have for equity managers in the same way that performance attribution was and is. And risk analytics have become, You know, this is a, an evolution in the industry. And we think all portfolio managers should at the very least be looking at this for their own sake. Whether they choose to share that with their investors, that's another, th- another story, but they probably will because in this market, the pressure is on them more than ever to outperform you know the tide has gone out and it, everyone's attention is zoomed in on small amounts of outperformance in a way that that no one really cared when markets were going up in a straight line so it's really important for managers not only to prove that they're outperforming but then to explain themselves you know to explain their process to be able to visually show it at work, which you can do with uh essentia, and to also be humble in and in front of their investors explain what they, you know, that they understand what they need to improve at. That that it's like a shift is happening in terms of uh people's attitudes that way from like huge ego to much more humble, which is a great thing for the end investor in my opinion. But at any rate, Northern Trust um has a Amazing customer base, both of asset managers and even more so asset allocators. And the more that we can work together to expose this work to them and offer the sort of analysis to both sides of that, both the manager and the allocator, the more we together can really make this must-have status become a reality.
1: Yeah,
3: I completely agree. I see Accenture as being a standard part of the asset manager and asset owner slash allocator toolkit and to deliver better outcomes through continuous improvement, all for the benefit of their investors and retirees. You know, if I look, and Claire touched on this, but if I look at the idea that managers today have a unique data set that is their own data, not available to anybody else, and not to tap into that where it could potentially give you that edge seems like an opportunity missed. And with Essentia, we are providing that window into their own data that Today, they either don't have access to or are not currently using effectively.
1: All right. And then I've got one last question for both of you. One final thought for listeners about the transformation of knowledge and data and any guidance on how they can help to move their organizations faster forward. Claire, why don't you go first?
2: I guess I I would just reiterate the point that data alone doesn't change anything. It's interesting. And even really cool analysis of that data doesn't change anything. It it may create intentions of change, uh, but behavioral change is hard work, you know? And if you really want your team to engage in continuous improvement, it starts with data because that's a great way to get them bought into the concept in the first place. And it removes the sort of emotional charge from the the whole conversation, but it does require a change management, you know, sensibility. And so I would encourage anybody who's thinking about this in their own organization to think about the change management element as early as possible and think about how are you going to win hearts and minds? Um, you could start as simple as a workshop that's not about anyone here's data, you know, it's like very removed from... Any finger pointing, but it sort of enables the team to get their toes wet. And then from there you might do a pilot. And then from there you might do you might roll it out to a few more people. But sometimes I see people, I see firms not think hard about that piece of it in advance. And I think they live to regret it. Well,
1: so Paul, you have the final word here.
3: Well. Wow. We've all seen that explosion of the use of data and technology in sports today. And, you know, whether it's from the uh, aforementioned Moneyball 20 years ago to the screen full of stats I'm getting today as I look at tennis's Australian Open. I would like to think that we can embrace the same commitment of technology, data, and resources to the retirement assets of millions of people across the globe. If we do that, I think it will be better outcomes for all involved.
1: Well, Claire and Paul, thank you so much for giving us insight into Essentia Analytics, its powerful capabilities, and the ways this technology aids investment teams and portfolio managers.
2: Thanks, Patrice.
3: Thank you, Patrice.
1: And thank you to our audience for listening to Faster Forward from Northern Trust Asset Servicing.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Subscribe to Faster Forward from your favorite podcast app to be automatically notified of new episodes. This audio podcast is being provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to be taken as investment advice or a recommendation of any specific investment product or strategy. The information does not take your financial situation, investment objective, or risk tolerance into consideration. Listeners, including professionals, should under no circumstances rely upon this information as a substitute for their own research or for obtaining specific legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice from their own counsel. Northern Trust Corporation, head office 50 South LaSalle Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60603. USA Incorporated with limited liability in the U.S.,